Talking Illinois High School Football. If your goals are as high as you talk about, tonight's the night you go out and just take one more step. It's a view from the West. And it starts right now! Welcome back to View from the West podcast. I'm your host, Greg Armstrong, joined once again by Mitch Stormer. View from the West is a podcast talking Illinois high school football on the Western and the Northwestern side of the state of Illinois. Mitch, we're through week five. We're headed into week six. Man, it's really tempting now to start looking down the way and see what games are coming, what games are left, and just where is the playoff picture sitting for a lot of teams? This is when it starts getting really exciting. Yeah, uh, another week down, another week closer to that uh, week 10, if you will, playoff week number one. So uh, the picture starting to be a little bit clearer for some teams. Um, some conference races starting to clear up a little bit. Um, but boy, there's still a lot of a lot of wrinkles out there that we need to iron out and, and some teams that are, are kind of hanging on, but have a chance to, to make that final push here in, in the, the last uh, three weeks or so of the regular season. Yeah, I think we'll talk about it as we go on, but I think there's several teams that their record doesn't look like much right now, but when you look at the schedule they have left and you start thinking, man, they could make a playoff push. On the opposite side, you got some teams that have moved to 5-0, and which makes them playoff eligible. If they get to six wins, they're playoff locked in. So like you said, the playoff picture is getting more and more clear as we move along, and that makes for some really exciting discussion and some really exciting football. Before we jump into the football game action, I do want to go ahead and express our condolences and our thoughts and prayers to everyone out in Rock Falls, especially the Parker family. Uh, Brock Parker, we mentioned it on our Instant Reacts podcast a couple days ago. Uh, Brock Parker, who's the son of the Rock Falls head football coach, Kevin Parker, did pass away from injuries he suffered in a car accident. Just a terrible story and really heartbreaking story and for the news to come out friday afternoon i mean friday morning friday afternoon rock falls did decide to play their game on the road at genoa kingston uh they would fall short in the game but you know at the end of the day that ultimately means very little you know in the grand scheme of things i can't imagine what the players and what the community and the coaches were going through i mean the emotions I just can't even begin to, you know, comprehend, you know, what they went through credit to them for, for going out there and playing for Brock and playing for the Parkers, you know, and, and giving it their best effort. Something really cool after the game, the athletic director from Genoa Kingston presented a check to rock falls for $3,500. And it went to the Parker family to help cover hospital costs. Um, looking around the area Sterling Newman also donated a portion of its 50-50 to the Parker family during their game against Bureau Valley. I also saw on Saturday afternoon that Orion and Erie Prophetstown also raised money in their game because Kevin Parker had connections to both of those schools as well. So just, I mean, some really heartwarming, some good stories to come out of it, but ultimately it's just it's an unbelievable tragedy that, that happened, you know, right in the middle of football season in which what should have been so great for the Parkers and for the Rock Falls. Um, before we move along, I do want to mention any donations. If, if you feel like you want to help contribute um, to the Parker family and you know everything they're going through, uh, donations can be sent to Rock Falls High School in care of Parker family donations. I uh, got word from 
Rich Montgomery, the athletic director at Rock Falls, and he had given that information today. So um, if you feel inspired to help out, um, I encourage anyone who can to go ahead and do that because, you know, it's just, it's something that's so unbelievable and any help I'm sure would be greatly appreciated um, to the Parker family. That's wonderfully said, Greg, as you mentioned, our, our thoughts and prayers go to the Parker family. Um, and, and, you know, it, like you said, with, with, with a couple schools here in the area, and I'm sure there are more that we didn't mention, but, but Newman, Orion and EP that we know about, um, you know, sports rivalries, whatever you want to call it, they just, they go away. And, and these are things that really, really shine in dark times. It's, it's such a wonderful thing that, that we've seen in our community over the years and, and we continue to see. Um, and, and so kudos to all those who have helped and, and continue to help the family in this time. Like I'd mentioned to anyone else who um, wants to give a donation, um, donations can be sent directly to Rock Falls High School in care of Parker Family Donations. So once again, our, our thoughts and prayers go to the Parker family, to all of the Rock Falls football players and the community itself. It's a really tough situation um, that they're going through out there right now. Mitch, we have the impossible task of transitioning to uh, football from last week and there's no easy way to do it but you know that that's what we do on the podcast we talk high school football so we'll we'll jump right into the western big six and the week five scoreboard we'll start with rock island mitch they get the big win 40 to 6 over united township a rainy night on the turf uh at Olmquist field at, in rock island but that did not slow down the rocks offense rock island quarterback eli reese throws for five touchdowns, 180 yards, and they really dominated United Township in this game. Reese connected on touchdown passes with four different wide receivers tonight. So this was kind of, you know, finally that consistent offensive output, that explosive offensive output that we expected to see from Rock Island. We got it in this one for sure. Yeah, and, and a good bounce back a much needed bounce back win for Rocky after what, after what they went through last week and that drudging against Moline. So, uh, you know, one, good for them to get a win to get back on track. And two, like you said, an offense that we, that we knew was there and maybe hasn't really come through this year yet. And so to do it against UT, a really good UT defense uh, and team in general, um, and to have Eli Reese, like you said, five touchdowns on the night, and to throw it to four different receivers, that's a complete uh, offensive uh, performance. So uh, good for the Rocks. Good to see it uh, on Friday night. Yeah, Mitch, looking at the game, United Township actually jumped out to a lead in the first quarter. Corey Randall with a touchdown run. He kind of runs out of that wildcat formation for the Panthers um, when they get down near the goal line. He scored uh, to lead to open the game up, and then that was it for the Panthers. Man, if you're United Township fans, uh, you know, you got to be a little concerned here that the offense hasn't been there. You know, it wasn't there against Quincy and it wasn't here against Rock Island either. Um, Obviously, going back to the great win against Geneseo. But man, if you're United Township, you got to figure something out here because now you're kind of getting into that, you know, that territory of like you got to find a couple more wins to make yourself playoff eligible. Yeah. And, and so UT kind of finds themselves at a little bit of a crossroads now, you know, they've been on such a good run uh, dating back to the spring season um, and, and all the successes that they've, they've had since then, but now they're, they're kind of hitting that adversity for the first time in, in probably almost a, a year and a half, two seasons, really um, back-to-back losses where, like you said, the offense isn't there. 
doesn't get a whole lot easier next week with Moline coming to town. So can Mo can or sorry can can UT regroup here uh, with with four weeks to go because they they got to at least get two more wins on a, on a stretch that is is going to be tough for them to do it. So um, I think they can. They've showed that they have the tools to do it. But uh, this is uh, this this week is really going to be a turning point. I think. Yeah, looking over on the Rock Island uh, side before we wrap this thing up. The key turning point in this game was really with like under a minute remaining in the half. Rock Island put up two, uh, scored twice before the half. With just over a minute remaining, the Rock's defense comes up with a stop on UT inside the five-yard line. They then drive 96 yards for a touchdown right before the half, reconnecting with Quinterian Brooks on a screen. He goes 49 yards for the touchdown after forcing another three and out with only 15 seconds left. Rock Island strikes again, Reese to Kai Rios, touchdown. That put Rocky up 21-6 at the half. So, Mitch, if you're a Rock Island fan, if you're a Rock Island player or coach, man, that had to feel so good when you're in this battle in the first half, and then within one minute, your offense explodes. It's just that offense that we thought we'd see from Rock Island they explode out to a 21 to six lead. And that was it. I mean, that was really the story of the game was right there. So credit to rock Island for getting the job done. Now the question becomes, can we keep seeing this offense week in and week out? You know, that's what I want to know. They did all this in a, in a downpour Um, and that type of offense and throwing five scores in a downpour is not easy. So can they, can they find something that worked? Can they take something from this week and use it for the next four weeks? Um, you know, looking they're they're right there. They're tied for third in the conference in the standings right now, uh, you know, two and one in conference play. Um, they've got Galesburg. They go to Galesburg next week. So that'll be, that'll be a clash that kind of, like we talked about last week where teams are starting to kind of, you know, jump up over one another on a ladder. That's certainly a game next week. So, um, they're going to need to have that same sort of performance here, uh, not only next week, but on, uh, every week from here on out. Let's move along to Galesburg goes on the road to Quincy. They get the 35 to nine win on the road. Mitch, just a dominating performance from the Galesburg offensive line and the defensive line as well. I'll give credits on both sides of the ball here. They really did a great job establishing themselves up front in this game. Silver streaks with 296 yards rushing on 51 attempts. Quincy had on the opposite side, just 170 yards of total offense. Get this. The Blue Devils rushed for 64 yards and 59 of them came on one play. Mitch, yeah. I'm going to be, I'm going to be honest, Mitch. I, I didn't question your work, but I saw that in there. You put that stat in there. Yeah. I went back and double checked it. Cause I was like, what? Like that, is that real? Like, <laughs> holy cow. Talk yeah. about an effort from Galesburg. Well, I think that's what gets lost uh, here when we talk about, you know, obviously Galesburg's offense has been on on track the last two weeks, but their defense has really been what's keeping them in game. Last week, they they stopped. They, they completely shut down Geneseo. And then this week, uh, you know, really taking it to a Quincy team who is coming off a big win over UT where they rushed for a lot. I, I, don't, I don't remember what the number was, but they, they really ran over UT last week. So, um yeah, like you said, 64 yards rushing and 59 came on one play. So uh, impressive, really impressive stretch for this for this defense. To your point, I read an article out of the uh, Galesburg Register. Uh, Matt Wheaton had an article um, where he'd interviewed Coach Blackwell, 
And Coach Blackwell said that outside of one half against Morton in, I believe, game two of the regular season, they were winning 14-13 at half of that game. Mm -hmm. Outside of that second half where their defense kind of – he put it that the coaches put them – put their players in a, in a bad situation. So didn't have the right game plan or he, he put it on himself, but he said outside of that one half where they weren't quite prepared enough as coaches, other than that, this defense has shown up and you're right. I mean, they have really played well. Let's talk about maybe the most impressive stretch of football for Galesburg's Cam Aguirre. He has a rushing touchdown that puts the streaks up 21 to nine at the half in the third quarter. Quincy Shammy gay has a 59 yard run for the blue devils. He would have probably scored if Cam Aguirre doesn't track him down and tackle him at the 10-yard line. Then on a third and 10, Braden Little for Quincy gets his pass deflected in the end zone. It's Aguirre who grabs it and goes 102 yards to put the streaks up 28 to 9. So, man, Cam Aguirre, have a day. Like, show up when you need to on both sides of the ball, and that was – that was the difference in this one for Galesburg. So credit to him and credit to this Galesburg defense on the offensive side, Galesburg racked up almost 300 rushing yards streaks, senior Alex Egyptiaco, who we've talked a lot about had 120 yards, had nearly 120 yards on 11 carries. He didn't play in the second half because of a shoulder injuries, what I'm reading. So man, you got to hope for the best out of that situation. Cause Galesburg can really use him in the lineup. He he is an impact player for sure. Yeah, um, and we don't want to speculate on the uh, extent of the, sh- the shoulder injury. They were up, as you said, twenty-one to nine at the half. You know, maybe the writing was on the wall. Maybe they maybe they trusted uh, his his brother Dre to to finish out the job for sure. him. So uh, yeah, we, we hope that there's uh, not much to that, and that he he is back next week because, as you said, he's been a he's been a key part of, of this Galesburg offense, and we wish him the best in in his recovery. All right, let's move right along. Sterling gets the win over rival Geneseo, 31 to nothing. Mitch, did you see 31 nothing coming out of a Sterling-Geneseo rivalry game? <laughs> I put you on the spot. Well, I hate, I hate to say no, that it didn't surprise me because I don't want to speak ill of, of Geneseo, but that's unfortunately kind of been where – how that leaf is falling, if I can, if I can put a point oh, on it. Oh, man, it's, that's a – uh it's it's fall greg you know i'm just trying um again like i said it's one of those things where you don't like to see it but it also it didn't surprise me because one it's it's a credit to sterling and how good their defense has been because their defense has been really good all season and just geneseo's offense they you know the first two weeks they played a couple non-conference games where they we're scoring at will. And then once they started Western big six play, it really came to a halt. So um, I guess my answer is no. <laughs> yeah. I think why I asked is because I did, I don't know that I saw 31, nothing. I think I knew that Sterling's defense was good, but I also thought that Geneseo would get something going that certainly they could find, you know, some openings in there and put some points on the board. But um Man, like you said, credit to Sterling's defense. Um, and so going back to what I was saying with Geneseo, they put up 49 and 58 the first two weeks. Yep. In the three weeks since then against UT, Galesburg, and Sterling, which three of, of you know the better teams in the Western Big Six, 
they scored 24 points total in the last three games. So, you know, uh, again, I, I hate to, to, to say that. I hate to say that it doesn't surprise me. It's just how, how it's been going for Geneseo, unfortunately. Yeah, I think what's really interesting is that Geneseo and United Township played a really great football game to open up Western Big Six play. And since then, it seems like those teams are going in the same direction, which is not the direction you want to be heading right. if you're a football program. They just neither team has really been able to get things going since then. Both of those teams had really good non-conference starts to the season, but they just haven't been able to get it going in big six play. And I think that's a testament to how good the big six is. Right. Sterling has beaten Geneseo seven straight years now. So this rivalry has become one-sided in, in a, I mean, in a rivalry that was never, I don't think ever this one-sided. And I think Geneseo yeah. had taken it for a while, but man, it really has swing, swung the other way now. Right. And I, and all, all the talk in Geneseo, I, I certainly don't want to take away from Sterling because they certainly earned it. Um, and it was the, the usual suspects, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. So Antonio Tablante, 140 rushing yards, three touchdowns. Um, Sterling's defense, like we've talked about, held the Leafs to 67 total yards in the first half. So that's it. I mean, if if you're getting, if you're holding Geneseo to that little production in the first half, and you're able to put up the points like Sterling does, that that's a recipe for success. Uh, yep. You know, Tablante scored on a long drive to put the Warriors up seven nothing in the first. Tablante again, 56 yard touchdown run that made it 14, nothing penalties and the golden warrior defense just were too much for AJ Weller and for the Leafs offense. And that's kind of been a story for Geneseo too, is they've, they've kind of, they can't get out of their own way a little bit. The penalties yeah. kind of hurt them and set them back a little bit, but um, Luis Diaz gets another field goal for Sterling. Um, so credit to him. He came up big against uh, Galesburg a few weeks back. So he continues to get the job done. Um, AJ Kested and Tablante would each score in the third quarter. And that really put this game away. One more note on this game with the win on Friday, John Schlemmer earned his 79th victory as Sterling's head coach. He passes Greg King, who was 78 and 28 in 10 years as a head coach. So credit to him, that, that stat nugget coming from uh, Matt Gingrich, sideline reporter for Sterling Golden Warrior TV. So thank you for that ging, for that little nugget of information. John Schlemmer, man, you got to give him credit because he's, he's doing really good work at Sterling. Yeah, uh, as formidable as they have been the past couple of seasons, you know, technically, if you, if you don't count the, uh, the, the spring season, which, you know, quote unquote, didn't count for much, Sterling is still the defending champ of the conference, and they're yeah. still you know, uh, right now tied with, with Moline. And I don't know when that game is, but that game's going to be awesome. Um, so they are still the Kings of the Western big six and they continue to play that way. Um, kind of like we've seen with other teams in, in different conferences that we cover um, it's theirs until someone takes it. So maybe in this conference, it's a little bit more competitive, but Sterling continues to rise to the occasion. Well, I think what's forgotten about last year is Sterling lost in week six to United township but that was only Sterling's first loss of the season right. of the spring season. So technically they won the big six last year too. Okay. So okay. that's, yeah, yeah, I think it, it kind of gets forgotten because they lost in week six, but 
they still had the Western big six locked up. And I don't know how official that spring season was for, you know, for the conference championship, but either way, you know, Sterling will take it. So um, the last game to cover in the big six Moline gets the 56 to nothing win over all Moline's quarterback, Alec Ponder talked a lot about him three for six passing 88 yards, two touchdowns. He rushed for a third touchdown that helps the Maroons to their third straight win. Pablo Perez added 73 yards on eight carries for a touchdown. Andrew Torres for the Pioneers had 62 yards on 23 carries. <laughs> Ready for this one, Mitch? In their last two games, Moline has outscored their opponents 119 to nothing. Ooh. So <laughs> that's playing good football. That first game was a was a shootout. It was a 48 to 35 uh win over Quincy and then since then the defense has now put up back-to-back shutouts so um as we just continue to talk about uh, a good effort here with Moline as they had that one loss to, to Bennett in week two um but they are sitting right there with Sterling atop of the Western Big Six um with some winnable games left and then that Sterling matchup is uh, is in week eight so we're looking uh, looking ahead to that too yeah let's look at the Western Big Six standings real quick as they sit right now Moline and Sterling are tied both at three and oh tied for third place. Rock Island is at two and one and Galesburg is at two and one. You have Quincy and United Township tied for fifth at one and two and Geneseo and Allman both at zero and three. So let's look at our week six matchups in the Western big six. Moline travels to East Moline against United Township. Quincy is at Sterling. Allman is at Geneseo. And Rock Island is at Galesburg. Mitch, I think, I talked to Dazzo a little bit this morning. I think I'm covering Rock Island at Galesburg for WQAD. That one really catches my eye. But what game yep. What game you got on your radar here? Yeah, like, like you said, that one is, is probably the, the one that might cause the most disruption, I, I guess, or at least some, some separation there because both those teams are tied for third. Um, you know, you look at, at Geneseo Alleman, can Geneseo get back on the right path or can Alleman maybe put some things together against a, a reeling Geneseo team? Um, Quincy at Sterling, we've seen what Quincy can do. Um, have to go to Sterling and then Moline UT, obviously that has, it has potential to be a, a big matchup. Can Moline continue to, to shine as they have and can UT get back on the winning streak? So, um, another week down here in the conference another exciting week with some good matchups yeah you talked about that Moline United Township game you know you look at how big of a wave Moline is riding right now how good they've looked and UT is reeling a little bit man can you imagine the headlines if United Township can come out and play like we know they can if Nick Welch can get the Panthers fired up if they can pull the upset on their home turf over Moline Man, that that would be something. I mean, that would send shockwaves through the conference. But man, Moline just looks so good. It, you know, it 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 that's a game that's intriguing because it's a big rivalry. You know, Moline looks good. United Township is gunning. They would love to knock them off for the second straight year. And then obviously, yeah. you know, the one you've talked about too, Rock Island at Galesburg. I think both of those teams right now sitting tied for third. So who's making that move, you know? Who's making that move up to the top of the standings and who's going to stay near the middle of the pack? I think this one, yep. it kind of becomes that separator game. Yep, for sure. 
All right, let's move into the Three Rivers Athletic Conference, the week five scoreboard. Mitch, we had some serious traction, some Three Rivers action. Kiwani, Kiwani coming up with the statement win over Princeton, 49-21. Mitch, I was lucky enough to be there covering it for WQAD. Even more fortunate that Matt Randazzo made that my only stop of the night. I only had that game. So I was able to just camp out and really enjoy that one. And man, I'm not exaggerating. It was probably probably one of the best regular season games I've been to in a long time. I mean, it was Kiwani's homecoming. That place was filled both sides of the stands, home and away. I mean, that, that rivalry was, you know, as hyped as it's been in years. And for the first half, man, this game was a shootout. This game was exciting. Kiwani with a great effort all the way around Princeton jumps out on the opening drive with a huge pass from Keegan Davis to Bennett Sirens. We've seen it a lot. We've seen that connection. It looked right away. Like the immediate question becomes, man, can Kiwani slow them down that, you know, that's the, the track record Princeton has. That's the question that immediately pops into mind when you see them score that quickly and immediately Kiwani comes up with the answer. Will Bruno drives him downfield, two big passes. The touchdown pass ends up in Nico Powell's hands right in the edge of the end zone. Great catch, great pass, great catch. Back and forth, we'd go in the first half. Kiwani took advantage of a blocked punt, returned for a touchdown deep in Princeton territory. And then also Princeton fumbled at their own one-yard line. That set up the Boilers to go up 28-21 at half. And man, the second half was all Kiwani. They outscored Princeton 21-0. They improved to 5-0 for the first time since 1999. What an effort from Kiwani. We talk so much about Princeton, how how good that they have been, and rightfully so. I, I would love to get stocking on this to see when the last time they led up 40 points in a game, because it it would have had to have been gears, uh, you know, and really it, it, when the last time they lost was. It has been a couple of years, really, uh, in, in regular season anyway. So, um, you know, this was a game, you know, years in, in the making um, with with Kiwani coming into the conference and the reshuffling everything. Um, and they're in the same division and they finally get that rivalry trophy back uh, to be competed for. Um, and so, yeah, like you said, Kiwani, we, we've talked about Will Bruno and the supporting cast there all season. And this was going to be that game just to finally see if they could you know if uh if they could put their money where their mouth is i I suppose against (laughs) a team like princeton and they certainly did like you said uh outscoring them a close first half and then just completely blowing them away in the second half that doesn't happen to princeton a lot so all the kudos to uh tikiwani for sure yeah i was really impressed we've talked about his name a lot uh kiantis patterson man he he looked electric in this game i tweeted out Two back-to-back plays. I don't know if you saw them. I did. Yes, I did. I mean, just they weren't plays that were going to necessarily make the final highlights. They didn't lead to a touchdown. But, man, he had two back-to-back plays where he had about two or three spin moves and a juke to go for about 15 yards. Just, I mean, you saw it and it just stopped you in your tracks. And then immediately the next play, it's a bad snap, goes about 11 yards deep behind the line of scrimmage. He's the first one there, scoops it up makes three defenders miss, gets to the sideline, and goes for about a 20-yard gain. Just really impressive effort from him. We've seen it week in and week out. 
But man, he looked really good in this one. And just overall, Mitch, I think this Kiwani team, they're just built solid all the way around. Offense, defense, special teams. They just have guys all over the place willing to get the job done. I give a ton of credit to their defense because outside of Tegan Davis going up, going over the top and scoring on a couple big passes, they didn't allow a lot of stuff in between, you know, in, you know, in between there, they really, they didn't let a lot of, they didn't have a lot of missed tackles. They got to where they needed to get to. They got the run, the ball carrier down immediately. They didn't let guys slip away and go for 20, 30 yards downfield. So really a credit to Kiwani for slowing down what is a very dynamic Princeton offense. Yeah. And, and with that, with that win, you know, they take, they take sole possession of, of the top spot in the Mississippi division in the three rivers. So, um, and looking at what they have left, they do have a matchup with Mendota coming up. They've got rock Ridge and Newman. So it's not going to get much easier for Kiwani, but the way that they've been playing an undefeated regular season is in play. So uh, we'll, we'll certainly be keeping an eye on that. And then uh, they'll be hoping that uh, they can do the same and, and win that division. Yeah. You know, they, they get, they're going to have to earn it, you know, in the three rivers this year, if they're going to win out or if they're going to be, you know, in the spot they want to be in, they're certainly going to have to earn it, but man, it's going to make for some exciting football because they have some good matchups coming down the road. We'll talk about them in a little bit. Let's go to Newman and Bureau Valley. Newman gets the win at home 26 to 14 Mitch, the hard hitting game started even before the game started, man. Poor Eric Ingalls, sports reporter from Sock Valley Media. Talk about being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Newman breaks through their banner. And man, the worst feeling in the world is when a bunch of football players are running right at you. Yes. And I encourage you. Well, I don't know if I encourage you, but if you haven't seen it, go out to Twitter and find it. Eric Ingalls had a good sense of humor about it. He tweeted it out. Um, hopefully he's okay. I am assuming he's okay. He's doing he's, fine. He, yeah. He tweeted. He was okay. I think he said either, either the, the Newman or the BV training staff came out to check on him. So, uh, and, and you know, watching the video, it's, it's not like he's all that particularly close. Um, yeah. Because when you, when you start watching the video, you kind of, you kind of know what's going to happen, <laughs> but then you see kind of how far away he is and you wonder how it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, the video itself doesn't leave much to the imagination because it's just, you know, he gets slammed. But, uh, you know, he's going to probably be using that Zoom feature uh, on, on his camera a little <laughs> bit more uh, and standing a little bit further back because, uh, yeah, he, he got one on Friday. Yeah, well, he's, he's certainly I don't know if it was the hardest hit of the night, but, man, I'd be hard pressed to find one. Yeah. That- He'd probably certainly say it was the hardest hit. of. Yeah, it was as hard as he got hit all night, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, looking at the actual game, Bureau Valley got on the board first, Levi Hardy touchdown, but the Newman defense did a great job really controlling Bureau Valley the rest of the night, only allowing 46 yards in the first half. At one point, Newman held the storm to 15 or fewer yards on seven consecutive drives. So, I mean, just really slowing down that storm offense. That complemented by the Comet offense, who built a three-score lead in the process. Very Newman-like offensive effort, long sustained drives on the ground. That's a calling card of the Blue Machine. And they looked like the Blue Machine, uh, literally yep. in, the, in their uniform. We'll talk about that in a minute. 
two scoring drives in the game elapsed of 12 plus plays. The storm played well, but Newman just, you know, they just made a few more plays in this game and just their defensive effort um, really kind of led the way for them to the win. Yeah. And coach pistol even said after the game that he thought that they had a, had a really good game plan. Uh, obviously as they got on the board first, that was something that they really wanted to do to set the momentum. And he, and he credited Newman for, for coming back and really not letting that affect them. And uh, you know, he, he mentioned, and as we've seen with, with Newman teams for decades, they are going to be one of the, the best executing teams out there. One of the best, you know, one of the most well-coached teams and disciplined teams. And so um, there are some nights where you can play as best as you can play. And it's just not going to matter all that much because Newman is such a tough program, but um, yeah, a, a classic game, like you said, hard hitting game. Um, they, uh, like you said, two, two scoring drives of 12, 12 uh, plus plays. I think one of those was in the first quarter and it, it took up the majority of the quarter. And then I, I'm pretty sure one happened. It might've been an eight point game, maybe in the fourth quarter. And then they put a long drive and scored and there was no time left. So, you know, to, to put it away. So yeah, very, very Newman like on Friday. Yeah. So getting the job done for Newman Hunter Leando finished with 88 yards and two touchdowns, Gabe Padilla, Ethan Van Landuit, each adding rushing touchdowns for the comments as well. So, you know, those, you know, those are the names getting the job done. And like you said, very Newman-like effort. Uh, Levi Hardy and Isaac Adig scored, both scored for Bureau Valley in this game. Mitch, before we move along, the Newman blue machine wearing the all blues at home. That's yep. going to, that's going to earn them the UniView team of the week. We talked to coach Kretzmer in the spring and he said the players really like that all blue, the, the blue yep. on blue at home. That's the blue machine. They represented it well in this one. Mitch talk about the, the Newman blue machine uniform at home. Yeah. Let me be, let me be controversial for a moment. Okay, please. Um, because I, okay, let me, let me preface this real quick. <laughs> don't get yourself in trouble now with Newman. Yeah. Um, it, it was either, I don't remember. I think they debuted their new Adidas in, in, in the, the spring. spring. Did they? Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So go back to the last full season, the last fall or, or the, even the previous fall before that, even um, I get my years mixed up anymore, but the last full regular season that they played, they had a, they had a Nike set. And I thought that the, the hues or the shades of color, both, both in the blue and the gray, of the Nike set really, really just were what Newman were or what is to me, right? Okay. It's just, it's just a, a traditional kind of blue and it's um, a little, it, it's still Royal blue, but it's a little bit lighter than what they're, what the Adidas blue is. So they get the Adidas ones, they go with a darker gray pant mm -hmm. and I'm just not sold on it. I think it's too dark. I, I just do. And so if they, when they go all blue, I like that a lot better than their, than their traditional look. Um, like you said, blue machine through and through. So um, I, I do like the look. I like it better than uh, what they normally do, but if they still had their Nike set, I would like that overall better. See, I, I'll, you know, I'll disagree in the fact that what I like about this Adidas set now is that there's like that little like metallic touch to it in the trim, yep. which right. that to me puts it over the top. It gives sure. it that it, it keeps a traditional Newman look, but it gives it that little extra, you know, that crisp 
player. sharp look. Yeah. Yep. And I just, I think it's perfect. I, I really like what they do with that, with, with that look, that little metallic look. And when they go all blue, I just think it's cool because they're the blue machine. You know, that's yeah. if the players buy into it, I, I like the idea of that's the special kind of player set, you know, when the players vouch for it in the scene, I imagine it's like probably senior captains say, yeah. Hey, this is the game. We want to do it. I like that aspect to it. Yeah. And we've talked about it with other teams too, where they have that, that traditional look and obviously Newman's is as traditional as it comes. And so when they, when they have an alternate uniform and they don't, you know, try and do too much, they don't try and get too fancy. That's a win every time. So yeah, it, it's a good look that they, you know, that they don't wear all that much. Um, but I think they should. <laughs> there you go. All right. Let's get on with it. Mendota gets the 43 34 win over hall. That was on Saturday. And actually the red devils were right in this game. They were actually winning this game. At one point, the red devils intercepted passes on Mendota's first two drives of the game, capitalizing on short fields, both times to take a two touchdown lead. So credit to hall. They were ready to go. They made some big plays on defense to set themselves up on the flip side, credit to Mendota. They kind of adjusted the script a little bit and they went to work on the ground a big kickoff return set up Ted Landgraf scoring on a one-yard touchdown after a defensive stop. Uzi Angelo and Damian Magdalenas ran Trojan down the field. Angelo scored with three seconds left in the third to tie the game. Mendota would take advantage of a Hall fumble deep in their own end. Magdalenas scores for the lead. Hall would respond, but the Trojans denied the two-point conversion to hold the lead into halftime and they would go on to win from there. Just a great effort from Mendota to be down in this one and to battle back Landgraf ends with 164 yards and three touchdowns Angelo with 86 yards and a touchdown Magdalenas with 83 and two touchdowns. So they went to work on the ground and they were very successful. Yeah. And a good bounce back game for Mendota having lost to Princeton last week and, and really good to see Hall. Uh, compete against a really good Mendota team hall coming off their first one of the year over Morrison. Um, and, and before that really wasn't having too much success. So two, you know, even a loss too good to back back weeks for, for hall. Um, but yeah, Ted Landgraf, um, it continues to have a really good, I would love to see his numbers on the season because, uh, the Trojans making noise in their first year in the conference. And, um, as we mentioned earlier, they're sitting second in the conference right now, uh, with a, with a matchup on Kiwani coming up later on, uh, in a couple weeks. Yeah, I, I was impressed with, you consider that Mendota, you know, fell to Princeton the week before. And then when they're playing against Hall and they get a two touchdown deficit thrown against them early, that they battled through it. You know, that mental yeah. toughness to not think, here we go again. We're going to, you know, like obviously playing a team like Princeton and, and playing a team like Hall is different calibers. I mean, you know, Princeton's been so good for the past couple of years. Hall doesn't have that kind of pedigree in the last few years anyway, but still to be down, you know, to get smacked in the mouth right away, but to have that mental toughness to fight through, I give credit to Mendota to come away with that win. And Mitch, I don't know if you saw it on Twitter. Speaking of the uni view, we had a player from Mendota tweet at us about watch for next week. And Mendota's apparently got a uniform for next week. So I'm That's, ready yeah, for that. it. Yeah, that's a tease. They got Sherrard at home. So I don't know if that's a homecoming thing. Um, 
because they it's not senior night because they have another home game. But yeah, I don't know what the occasion is, but uh, yeah, that's a tease. So lot to lot looking forward to here in Men- for Mendota. Yeah, I'm I'm ready for that. I'm excited. What, to what see do you what do you, what do you think? Is are we going to be seeing? I'm I'm trying to think. Uh, so if it's at home, well, is well, it like? Well, 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 think about it. Mendota and Sherrard are are very similar in their that's in their jerseys. True. You know, they yeah, both look true. like L- they both look like LSU. Yeah. So does Mendota have? gray do they have a black um my thought would be like all like all all yellow all all, all yellow all purple something yeah there's there's a couple scenarios here that they could come out with so yeah looking forward to that (laughs) all right let's move along erie profits town in orion on saturday ep gets the 49 14 win another game similar to mendota to mendota's win this game was close early orion played great really limiting what ep was doing offensively early on Orion took a 14-13 lead in the third quarter. So huge credit because this Erie Prophetstown team is very dynamic on offense. Unfortunately for the Chargers, the 14-13 lead did not last for them. Erie Prophetstown explodes for 36 unanswered points. They rolled to their third straight track West win with a 49-14 win. So big credit to the Panthers. They continue to get the job done. They've looked really good now. They now move to three and two on the season. Junior running back, Jace Grunder, solid all-around game, 56 yards, two touchdowns on six carries, three receptions for 42 yards. He also had two tackles for loss, totaling 13 yards. So, man, he's really doing some work. And then some names we've talked a lot about, Connor Sibley adding 49 yards and two touchdowns. Colby Franks with uh, 49 yards passing was five of seven. So he, Franks also does it on the ground as well. Um, He had Franks rushed for 235 yards and three touchdowns. So, I mean, he's a dynamic player. We saw him do so well against rock Ridge and he continues this week against Orion. Yeah. That's been a name that we, we talk about week in and week out and, and Erie is, is a, has been, I think they're, I think it's something like 12 points, you know, away from being undefeated. So, um, and they've got a, a real man, real manageable schedule coming up. I think I said last week, they're, they're going to be a playoff team. I, I know that in, in, in my heart, <laughs> just looking at what they have left um, and, and what they've been doing all season. Um, they're leading the division right now. They're tied with Roseville. That is another game that they have coming up. So that's one that they are, that they look forward to, to see who can win um, that division. Um, because if you, you know, at the start of the year, if you would have told me that, you know, just looking ahead in a scenario world that Kiwani and Erie Provincetown would be the two winners of the track. I, I would not have believed you. No, you know, no offense to, to those two schools. I just, I wouldn't have, have, uh, have believed it. So, uh, credit to them for continuing to be on this path. Um, they, EP was one point away from scoring 50 for the third straight week. So. Um, they're just, they're on fire. Yeah. Like we said, their offense is very dynamic and they were able to pull away from this one, even after being in a tough battle early on, even not even early on. I mean, into the third quarter, Orion was giving them a game. So, you know, we know that this Erie Provincetown offense can be explosive and they showed it at the end of this one to run away with the win. Speaking of teams that are playing really well, Monmouth Roseville gets the 18-15 win over Rockridge. Silas Braun to Derek Chandler touchdown and another Braun touchdown run led to a 12, nothing lead at the half rockets would cut it to 12 to eight before Logan Bratcher 
72-yard touchdown run with six minutes left to seal the win for Monmouth-Roseville. Huge credit to them. This was a tough battle. This was a rivalry game for them to come away with the win. This is one of those wins they really needed. When you start looking down the rest of their schedule, I think it sets them up really nicely. This was a big win for them. Yeah, a big win for them. And also on the Rock Ridge side, you know, that's two straight weeks that they've lost by three points or less. <laughs> so, um, you know, they're, they're battling and they're just maybe a couple plays away from, uh, from having two more wins on their, on their, on their record. But unfortunately they're, they're two losses. So, um, you know, hang in there, Rock Ridge, you're, you're, you're doing these things against really good teams. EP last week, you know, Monmouth Rose this week, um, you're sitting at three and two, you, you got a couple more wins in your schedule. So uh, just keep improving uh, because these, these tough losses are going to, are going to come forward to you in a, in a good way. So, but all the credit again to, to Monmouth Roseville uh, squeaking out a close win here. Well, Mitch, what I will say is it was a three point loss for rock Ridge, but the week before they put up 48 points. So right. credit to Monmouth Roseville's defense for really slowing down and limiting what is a very dynamic offense for rock Ridge, an offense that has so much talent in the skill positions I mean, I give credit to Monmouth Roseville. That, that's a tough task to figure out a way to slow those guys down and to hold them to 15 points. That's, you know, that's a job well done. Yeah. In Rock Ridge, the next two weeks, they've got Morrison and Sherrard. So a good, good two opportunities there for Rock Ridge to get back um, into what they were doing. You know, play like you did against, against Newman. You know, play like you did that offensive output you had against Riverdale. So really get there because you're, you're sitting at two and three with four weeks left you're you're almost in that territory that you have to win out so um they got a good start to that here in the next two weeks uh before Kiwani and week eight and in Oregon to finish out the season uh skipping ahead real quick Monmouth Roseville hosting Erie Prophetstown in week eight that yeah. is a matchup that's a game I want to be at that one is going to be exciting yeah the more the more we we talk about games throughout this conference and other conferences when we get to like week seven and week eight like those games those those weeks are really going to be important and really going to be a lot of fun. Yep. All right, let's keep moving down the list. Morrison gets their first win of the year. They win over Sherrard 12 to six. The Mustangs rallied from a six, nothing halftime deficit that gives Steve Schneider, his first career victory at the helm of Morrison and their first win of the season. Like I referenced Mustangs have won all four meetings in this series against Sherrard. And interestingly enough, the Mustangs have held Sherrard to six points in every one of those wins. So credit, congratulations to Coach Snyder and to Morrison for getting their first win of the year. And thank you to uh, Brian Stocking for that nugget on Morrison allowing six <laughs> points in every game that they played. That's right. That's right. Brian Stocking, he's all over it, man. He's got, he, he's got, it, on a, he's got it on an index card somewhere. So that's it, it came in handy. Absolutely correct. If you want to hear more from Brian Stocking, I encourage everyone to go out and listen to the Instant Reacts podcast. Brian Stocking, the stat guru for WQAD, he sits in what he calls the command module, sits behind a computer in the uh, you know WQAD sports office, and man, he's he's hounding Twitter all night, finding scores, finding stats. He's got I notebooks and index cards, like you said, all the information laid out in front of him. He does unbelievable work getting the numbers i'm i'm telling you i think the the show on week nine should have brian stocking on it we have to have him on 
Okay. At some point. And I, I think if we can just get to the end of the regular season and that's how we wrap it up with him on there. Oh, what a dream come true. That would be. <laughs> You can catch Brian Stocking on, like I said, on the Instant Reacts podcast every week, right after uh, the WQAD crew walks off the set when they're done on a Friday. We basically just sit down with the microphone in front of us and just kind of give our gut reactions to the week that was. And then me and Mitch follow up with this podcast to uh, kind of break it down in a little more detail and a little more organized and in a little more controlled <laughs> environment. But uh, yeah, listen to both podcasts. They complement each other. So anyway, we'll move along. St. Bede and Riverdale. St. Bede gets the 34 to 21 win over Riverdale. The Bruins moved to four and one on the season. John Brady had a huge game, 10 of 16 passing, 289 yards, four touchdowns, including touchdown throws of 74 and 50 yards to Tyree Fortney, as well as passes of 71 and 15 yards to Anton Kane. So great effort from John Brady. He's been a standout for them as well as Fortney has been great effort from the Bruins and man, they're sitting in a good spot now at four and one. Yeah. Um, they continue to impress as, as we talk about seemingly every week, they, they looked really good uh, in the, uh, in the spring and they continue to look good. This John Brady, we, we mentioned him every week. Obviously Tyreek Fortney is a star player for them. Um, and, and on the other side, looking at Riverdale, it, it's a tough year. We say it every week. It's a tough year for them. Um, but they showed some signs this week that, you know, they, that's a really tough St. B defense. And so, um, they're not hanging up their cleats just yet. They've got, um, you know, they still have Morrison and Sherrard on their schedules coming up. Um, so, you know, not all hope is lost for Riverdale, uh, to get a couple wins or one or two wins this year. So, um, Again, good to see some fight here midway through the uh, the season in, in, in a tough spot. Yep. Let's look down the standings in the Three Rivers Conference on each side of the divisions. The Three Rivers, Mississippi. Kiwani sits at first place alone, now at 3-0 in conference play. Mendota and Princeton are tied for second place. Actually, along with uh, St. Beat, I believe, is also in there. And, and Newman. And Newman is in there also at 2-1. So yeah, Kiwani's up at top, but you got two and one, two and one, two and one, two and one from Mendota, Princeton, St. Bede, and Newman. Looking on the other side, Monmouth Roseville and Erie Provincetown, both undefeated in their conference play at three and oh. You have Orion, who's at one and one. Rock Ridge is also at one and one. And Morrison now sits at one and one with Riverdale and Sherrard being 0 and two and 0 and three. Let's look at the next week of matchups in the three rivers kiwani goes on the road to hall newman goes on the road to princeton orion is at monmouth roseville that game will be on thursday night riverdale is at erie Prophetstown. rock ridge at morrison sherrard at mendota st bede at bureau valley so lots of games there mitch where do you think first what 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 game pops out to you uh, Newman Princeton um, is clearly going to be a, a good one. Um, you know, can, can Newman go on the road and beat a Princeton team coming off of a loss? Um, St. Bede, Bureau Valley, uh, Bureau Valley, tough place to play. Can Bureau Valley kind of get back um, and get in the win column? Other, other games might not, you know, uh, be as competitive uh, as, as I hate to say that. Um, 
you know, Rockridge goes to Morrison. Can Rockridge get back in the win column? Um, you got Sherrard in, Men, in Mendota. Obviously, the, we, we're looking forward to the, uni, the, the uniform news in that matchup. Yeah. Um, but, but, yeah, and, you know, we talked about Hall playing really well this week. Um, is Kiwani maybe on too much of a high coming off of a win against Kiwani? They got to travel to Spring Valley Hall. Can Hall take advantage of that? So, um, yeah, maybe not as many intriguing matchups as we've seen in week past or, or what's coming up um, in future weeks, but certainly some, some chances uh, that could shake things up for sure. Yeah, I think one game that kind of stands out to me is St. Bede goes on the road to Bureau Valley. You, you mentioned Bureau Valley and Coach Bistol had what they thought was a good game plan against Newman, and they came out and scored early, and they hung around for the most part, but they really weren't able to get things going offensively. Can they figure something out and, you know, hosting St. Bede, you know, can they get that win now? Can they get that signature win they're looking for? They weren't able to come up with the win at Newman. Can they get it when they're at home against a good St. Bede team? And on the opposite side, can St. Bede keep things rolling? You know, I think that's, that's the question for them. Keep that momentum that they've been building up. Orion and Monmouth Roseville on a Thursday night, you know, Orion's reeling a little bit. They had Erie Prophetstown in a position where they, you know, might be able to sneak out a win on a Saturday at home. And then, you know, EP really showed up and, you know, put it to them and was able to come away with the big win. Can they bounce back? Can Monmouth Roseville keep things going, avoid that letdown game? Can they get the win at home on a Thursday night? So yeah, several intriguing matchups there, but you know, this conference continues to, you know, give you a little more clarity, but also there's some teams yep. in the mix that maybe we didn't necessarily see at the top. And so, um, you know, it's going to be fun to continue to follow throughout the year. Mitch, let's move into the Lincoln Trail Conference. Our highlights from last week, Anawan Weathersfield hosted A-Town, a 5-0 A-Town team, and it's the Tornadoes that get the 34-12 win. I think this win for A-Town this was that quality win they needed. We looked at their schedule and thought, you know, they've had a couple wins against some programs that aren't really strong right now, but to go on the road, to go at Anawan, a traditionally strong conference team in the Lincoln trail to get the job done. This is a really good win for a town. Yeah. Um, again, they continue to impress them in Knoxville, both coming into the, the conference for, for the first year. Um, and, and again, as you mentioned, they, you know, their, their schedule wasn't necessarily front loaded. Um, and really looking at it, the, the back isn't all that much either until that week eight game with Knoxville. But um, yeah, this is a game that you had to win um, in order to keep that, uh, that momentum that you've had going. Um, they continue to have not allowed more than 14 points in a game all season and have scored the 34 points. And that was their lowest output all year. So um, yeah, they've, they've got a non-conference game next week. Um, but A-Town, yeah, A-Town just continues to roll. Yeah, I think, like you said, their schedule, looking down the rest of the way, like there's some there's some win, winnable games on that schedule. I think yep. if they continue to play well, they could be looking at a really good playoff seating, you know, heading into week 10. Let's keep looking down the list. Another team that's been really impressive, another new team in the Lincoln Trail Conference. We've talked about it week in and week out. Knoxville gets the 48-8 to win over Ridgewood. Peyton Hankins had eight carries for 240 yards. He's now up to 688 yards in 10 touchdowns in only four games because they had one forfeit win. 
So just really impressive numbers from Knoxville. And, you know, for being the two new teams in the conference, they've really separated themselves here, Knoxville and A-Town, as the clear-cut favorites in this conference, I think. Yeah, Um, and I think last week when Knoxville won, um, I don't have the scores pulled up, but I know they had a big win. I think, and I could be mistaken here, I think their other running back is is Lane Grice. I think that's his name. Yep. Um, and so when, when he's, you know, or, or at least when I say when, when Pey- Peyton Hankins is a kind of a complimentary back to him, um, that's a pretty good uh, lineup that you have for the Blue Bullets there. So, so yeah, Knoxville continues to look good. Um, and not to look ahead, but as we just talked about A-Town, that matchup is going to be in week eight. I can absolutely see both teams being uh, 7-0 and heading into that matchup, and then that will decide who wins uh, the LTC this year for sure. Yeah, definitely. We'll talk about what's coming up next week and look a little bit down the road in a minute here. Let's go to Monmouth United gets the 44-22 win over Stark County. Congratulations, David Milroy. He's a Stark County graduate. He leads United to the program's first win ever at Stark County. So United's been around since 2004, I believe, and they won a state championship in their first year as the United program but they've never gotten a win at Stark County. So big credit to them. They moved to two and three on the year. And, you know, just a, you know, really impressive um, victory for the United Red Storm. Yeah. Like you said, they, they get their, their second win of the year and obviously a, a milestone victory uh, of sorts. So um, yeah, looking, looking ahead, um, you know, they, they've got Ridgewood next week and they've got Rova after that. So, you know, they have to play good in those two games because they have two really tough games to, to end out the season. Um, so if they assuming, let's assume that they win the next two weeks, they're sitting at uh, four and three, they got to win one of those last two games to at least qualify. So um, yeah, let's hope for United that they can keep this momentum going heading into the final stretch. Yep. Keep moving down the list here. Mercer County 62 to 22 win over Rova Williamsfield. Man, this Mercer County team, they're sitting at two and three right now. But man, they, this score really, really caught me. It really caught my eye because, I mean, just 62 points. And I started looking into their schedule. So, Mitch, they're sitting at three and two. All three of their losses this year have been to teams that are undefeated to Farmington, to Knoxville, and to A Town. Now, that being said, the Knoxville win, the Knoxville win was a forfeit because Mercer County was out with COVID, but either way, the three, they had a really tough schedule there with three teams that are very good. You start looking down the list. I think there's some potential here for Mercer County to really make a run. And I think it really will come down to week nine against Anawan Weathersfield. That's where I think it gets really intriguing. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, re- you know, really tough loss to Farmington in week one. And then, uh, like you said, uh, a forfeit loss to uh, to Knoxville, which they may or may not have won that game anyway. Um, but, yeah, the toughest part of their schedule was done. So sitting at two and three, the next four weeks, I would agree with you that they are winnable games. Um, not saying that they will win, but they're winnable if they play mm-hmm. the way that they did against Roba. So, um, yeah, can they can they sneak in? Uh, with five or even automatically qualify with six, I think it's I think it's possible. Um, but you know they got to keep that playoff board there 
uh, in Alito up to date and, and accurate. They don't want to have, you know, right now it says that they didn't have playoffs in 2020. So they want to make sure that they get something underneath that so that, you know, that's not, uh, the, the, that COVID isn't the final thing on that list. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So next week, we'll get into it in a minute here. Next week, they have Princeville. Princeville got the win via forfeit over Lewiston. So now you move into a Princeville team that's three and two against a Mercer County team that's two and three. Man, that one might be one of the more intriguing matchups of next week's schedule. We'll look down the rest of the games. Ridgewood is on the road at United. Anawan Weathersfield is at Knoxville. Stark County is at Rova Williamsfield. And A-Town is at Havana. So A-Town has the non-conference game against Havana. Havana's sitting at one and four, but they're on a four-game losing streak. So I think there's an opportunity there for A-Town to keep winning. Mitch, the other game that catches my eye, Anawan Weathersfield at Knoxville. And I already mentioned earlier, I think I might go to Galesburg for the Mm -hmm. Rock Island game. I might start in Knoxville with Anawan Weathersfield at Knoxville. That game is interesting to me because I still, you know, maybe this isn't the best Anawan Weathersfield team we've seen in the last five to 10 years. You know, it's not that maybe top tier team, but it's still such a solid program. I think any week there's potential that if they play well, they could come up with an upset. It would be big. It would be obviously be huge if they could do it at Knoxville. Yeah, certainly would, would shake up the the LTC for sure. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the two teams that we, we ended on with Mercer County going to Princeville. Um, Even with a forfeit Princeville has, has technically won three in a row after getting blown out the first two weeks. Um, they, they don't score a lot of points, but they don't give up a lot of points either. So can they slow down Mercer County coming off their 60 point, uh, you know, output here last week? Um, and, and can Mercer, can Mercer County overcome a historically really good Princeville team, um, and, and keep jumping up. Like you said, make sure that these winnable games are games that they win, um, and get to that fifth and and sixth win. So I'm looking forward to, to seeing that one. Um, in addition to, as you said, the Weathersfield Knoxville game. Honestly, you look at Mercer County at Princeville, that could decide the winner of that one is in the playoffs and the loser does not make the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. that's, I think there's that much riding on that game, kind of looking at the way their schedule shapes out, moving forward beyond that, and just kind of what we've seen from those teams. Yeah, I definitely think there's a lot riding on that game. Um, like we said, Ridgewood at Monmouth United, can United keep things going? Can they keep things moving in the right direction or can Ridgewood sneak away, get a win, you know, on the road at United, can they come up with their first win, um, of the season? And then, um, Stark County at Rova Williamsfield, you know, both teams looking for that spark, looking for that momentum, you know, somebody's going to come away with the, with a win there. So Mitch, you ready to move along to the Northwest upstate Illini? Yes, lots to talk about here. All right, let's get into some small school football from the northwest side of the state of Illinois. I heard another podcast uh, the other day. They called the Northwest Upstate Illini the SEC of 1A football. It's really, really hard to argue that. Well, you you already called the Western Big Six the Big 12 before, so we might as well... And I'm getting a lot of I'm getting a lot of heat for that now too. By yeah. the way, we'll yeah, call, we'll call the track the Big Ten, and then this can be the SEC. That's fine. Because and, and again, all, all joking aside, this is the best small school football in the state of Illinois, or a small small football conference, I should say, in the state yep. of Illinois. 
it's undisputed. There is absolutely no question about it. Um, and so, yeah, all, all joking aside, uh, and if you want to compare, if you want to compare Lee Wynn to Alabama, also fine. But was, from a, yeah, from a, just, from a whole, from a whole, uh, outlook, that man. is a very good comparison because uh, this conference is just so good. Um, they're gonna, it's going to be exciting for these next four weeks. And then I think that there are going to be count one, two, three, four teams that make runs in the playoff for sure. Yeah. You took the words right out of mouth mouth. I was going to say, if it's the sec, then certainly Lee win is the Alabama man. Lena yeah. Winslow looked dominant again this week. They get the 54 to seven win over Fulton over a Fulton team, a Fulton program that we, we think is really good. We've seen, you know, yeah. sparks from them this year of being a really good football team. And man, Panthers jumped out to a 16, nothing lead with scores from Brady Eilders and Ethan Thigh. Keegan Van Campen scored for the steamers on a two yard touchdown run in the second quarter. But you start going from there. Mari Roby adds a pair of touchdowns. Ilder scores again, and the route was on. Fulton had five first downs in the game, and they only gained 108 yards of total offense. On the flip side, Lena Winslow rushed for 398 yards as a team. I mean, just, I mean, I don't know what else to say about Lena Winslow that hasn't already been said. I mean, I'm not sure Mitch is outside of the game against Dupec, that's a, yep. obviously a 3A team. Is there another 1A team in the state that can stop them? I mean, we're talking, you know, if, maybe in the state championship game, depending on where they end up. If, if they run into Immaculate Conception for reasons that we won't get into, um, then that would be it. If they played a team that shouldn't be playing 1A, here, I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll touch on it. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, you know, I haven't seen a full listing of 1A in a while. And I, I just, I haven't given it much attention because I don't think that there is because yep. um, Lena is just so good again this year. They are always so good in the playoffs. So um, yeah, they, they have to get through the conference first, but they wouldn't have to run into, into Dupac um, potentially in, in the playoffs at all. So uh, no, I do not think they will be stopped. Uh, and I will be surprised if, and when it does maybe happen <laughs> yeah well we'll keep moving down the list at uh some other teams we'll get to their next week's matchup coming up here in a minute Forreston gets the what i would consider an impressive winner kind of caught my attention 52 to 20 over galena this is a galena team that we had hyped up quite a bit coming into the year and we also talked about Forreston, but i think we kind of wanted to see what Forreston had i think there were pieces there but we were kind of waiting to see kind of what this team could produce. And man, they produced a lot in this one. They get the big road win behind 107 yards rushing on six carries from Matthew Beltron. That's a name we've said the past couple of weeks. Also 80 rushing yards from Caleb Sanders. As a team, the Cardinals gained 311 yards on the ground. Just a total team effort. Beltron rushed for two touchdowns and a pick six. Sanders had two touchdowns. Devontae King-Black is a name we've mentioned before. Him and Logan Dyson also had rushing touchdowns. Jacob Fiorello, who we've also mentioned before on this podcast, had a kick return for touchdown. So there's just a multitude of dynamic players for this Forreston team. They're a ground and pound team, and man, they're effective at it. They can really get the job done. 
Yeah, they threw two passes last week, and that was way too many. So I hope <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't I don't know how many they threw uh, this week against Galena, but um, yeah, it just goes to show how good they are on the ground. Um, Fifty points in back to back weeks, all leading up to a Lena game in Week Nine. So I again I, I hate to keep looking ahead at these schedules, but you can't help it because you just know what's on the horizon. They have a few interesting matchups going down the list. We'll talk yep. more about it in a minute. They play, they host East Dubuque next week. We'll talk about yep. East Dubuque in a minute. But then you start looking, they have Fulton on the road. They host Gibson City, Melvin Sibley, who's three and two. They're always a perennial playoff team, a very yep. good program from down by Champaign, Urbana area. And then they end the year, like you said, with Lena Winslow. So I think that when you look at the first part of their schedule, they've gotten the job done. They've played very effectively. They're only lost coming to Dupec, but you start looking, they, their schedule does not let up. They, they have a tough schedule remaining. So I guess my point is if this forest and team is going to keep things rolling, they're going to earn it. And that, that's no shock. This is the Northwest of St. Alina. There's good teams week in and week out. They're going to have to earn it, but man, just seeing what they do, they, they're set up to do it. I mean, they, they, they have the seems to be the pieces in place. Yep. No doubt about it. All right, let's move down the list. Maybe the most intriguing matchup from the previous week. Dupec falls short to St. Teresa out of the Decatur area, or in Decatur, actually, 28-22. This game was set up during the middle of the week. Urbana has canceled their season, so Dupec was without an opponent, and St. Teresa had a COVID cancellation on their schedule, which freed them up. And so credit to both schools. St. Teresa's number one ranked team in class 2A. And obviously, Dupec is one of the best teams in class 3A. They've been ranked week in and week out. Credit to both teams for kind of, you know, getting the, doing the legwork and finding this opponent. Just a really great football game. The Rivermen would score first. Trenton Taylor, 70 yards on the first offensive possession. He gets in from one yard touchdown. That puts Dupec up 6 nothing. Bulldogs would answer in the second quarter. They would add two touchdowns before the half. Christian Harper scored on a four-yard run and a 54-yard pass. That gave St. Teresa the 20-6 to lead at the break. This one would go back and forth um, in the second half. It would be the lead would get t- cut to 20-14. to Dupec would continue to do the job defensively. The Bulldogs, though, would add a touchdown to make it 28-14. That would be the final. That would be enough to get the win. Like we said, it ended up being a 28-22 final. Credit to the, you know, St. Teresa for going on the road and getting the win. But man, credit to Dupec for battling in this one. And they never quit. And they fall, you know, six points short against a really good football team in St. Teresa. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think with the, with the amount of teams that we have in 2A that I don't think we're probably going to be done seeing St. Teresa just yet. So um, they, they've got a big time running back. He had 230 yards uh, and two scores on the night. But the Rivermen, uh, again, they they came to play. Like you said, uh, kudos to them. And I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna go on. I'm gonna go in on this in a minute. All right. Uh, but but you, you saw Trenton Taylor. He had 194 yards and two scores. Um, AJ McCauley had 61 yards and had 16 tackles on defense. Um, Trent Hetland had eight tackles on defense, and he had a pick six. Um, Caden Degner also had 16 tackles. So, wow. you know, yeah. <laughs> Degner and Taylor both had 16 tackles on for the night. So, 
Um, yeah, as you said, you're, I think they were around 10. They might've been the 11th ranked team in 3A. Um, and, you know, we've seen things like this happen in uh, other conferences that we see, you know, my mind immediately goes to like Princeton and, and Lee win when they played uh, in the, in the spring. Um, and usually you see sometimes the, the, the higher rated team in terms of uh, classification, you know, if they have more numbers, if they have bigger area to pull from, you know, whatever it may be. And they, they sometimes could take, take it to uh, the smaller schools, but not in this case, because St. Teresa is so good. Um, where I have a problem with this, Greg, yeah. is this this is my problem is that this game counted as a loss for dupec yep i have two problems with that number one it's not the way that it used to be and i don't know when it switched or why but in my experience and i'm sure it happened after this i'm sure it happened before this this was in 2004 um morrison was going to play a team called river valley and i don't remember what schools even made up river valley or where they are now but they had canceled their season and i also don't remember when we knew that because i think they canceled their their whole their whole season i don't think they played anybody so um and i'm not quite sure if if and when we even started to look for opponents but anyway this was in like week five or six um tuscola ended up having a similar situation and so tuscola was one a team um and that was when tuscola was really really good it was probably the first time a shotgun snap had ever been played in a three rivers game um (laughs) you know something that we were completely not ready for i don't even remember if we watched tape on the game because we got a win it was a forfeited game and then we played to get experience to to stay warm it it, it, tuscola the same way uh Tuscola beat us that night, but only on the scoreboard. It didn't matter in standings. And that's the way it should be in my mind, because in this, in this case, and really more for the St. Teresa side of things, because they didn't find out they weren't going to play Clinton until like Wednesday. Yeah. So, and and let me also preface by saying, I I do not take away from, from Dupec or St. Teresa from scheduling this game because it's a great thing. It's awesome. It was something that we on this show, have talked about before we like it when those things happened um it, it was more so uh maybe in the spring when teams were going through some more covid regulations and things like that and maybe there were some more opportunities for these games to, to come into play but by doing this and having it count as or, or go towards your win-loss record you are discrediting dupec for playing they scheduled a game that, that, that they didn't have to. The alternative was to get a win. So you're, you're punishing them for playing a game under circumstances that are not their fault. They couldn't have played, and they would have won. They should be credited for, for going out and not taking that free win. They should be credited for going out and playing one of the top teams in 2A. And they aren't because they get a loss in their record. That to me is not right. It, it's again, it's not on on Dupec for scheduling it because they should be credited for not just taking a, a, a an automatic win. My problem is with the rule. 
And I don't understand how that isn't the rule. Because again, these are circumstances that are out of these teams' you know, hands. These teams canceled because of numbers and of COVID. And now you're going to punish them because they played? No, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I, I will say it's happened, um, you know, all over the state this year, you know, to a lot of different teams. And I'm unfamiliar with um, the rule and what it has been. And obviously, you have a firsthand account, you know, going back to 04. Um, I don't know. Yeah, the ins and outs of it. I just know that it's, um, we debated it. Even when we heard about Dupec and St. Teresa getting right. this game, we debated kind of where it stood. And I was fairly confident because I'd seen other teams have to do it, that once you make the decision to play the game, if you find an opponent who will play, then both teams put it on the line. Um I don't necessarily have a problem with it only in the fact that, you know, you, you didn't, you weren't forced to take a game. No one, no one drew it up. You know, the IHSA right. wasn't mandating you to play the game, um, right. but I do see where you're coming from that. Yeah. I mean, it would be, it's hard to, you know, punish a team. Like you said, Dupec for not, they didn't do anything wrong if they weren't the one under COVID regulations. So, right. Um, you know, you look at, we just talked about it. Knoxville got a win over Mercer County earlier this year when right. Mercer County was out with COVID. You know, Knoxville either didn't find an opponent or maybe just thought we'll take a bye week and get healthy or, you know, take, right. take the week off. Um, right. I don't know. And I, I think the other thing to be said here is that it is kind of tough when you start talking about Dupec either plays the game and knows that there's the risk of losing or they don't play a game and then you rob your seniors of, or anybody, I mean, any player, doesn't matter if you're junior or senior, one less game they get to play, you know? So right. Right. yeah, Again, I see the, where you're coming from. Right. The, yeah. The decision to play was obviously great. And it's, yeah. it's amazing that the game happened and that they do get nine games, uh, you know, hopefully here in the regular season. It's just that, that the rule exists that if you do that, if you have to reschedule a game at the 11th hour due to circumstances that were not your fault, and you lose that game, that's on you. And I, I yeah. just, I don't, I don't like that rule. Um, I'm, I'm speculating, but I'm, I would speculate that part of it probably comes to IHSA and player safety, and they don't want to have games played that are, that, that quote unquote don't matter, that don't have, that are just exhibition games. That maybe is part of it. Yeah, I I don't yeah. know. Seems it seems like it's a a decision that Matt Nagy would make. It's just you know not a good one. Um, I don't think a lot of thought went into it. Um, and the players at the, and the players at the end of the day are the ones who suffer. So yeah, um, now don't don't make me think about the Bears, please. Yeah, if anything, if anything that comes good out of this for Dupec, other than like you said, the players get to play. And again, if they listen to this, they're going to say, Mitch, you know, shut up. It doesn't matter. Like, no one cares. It doesn't, it doesn't hurt their conference ranking. Yeah. It's going to give them good playoff points when it comes to that time. If anything above that, if you want to play Lee Wynn and you want to beat them, you have to play teams like St. Teresa and you play them really well. And that's exactly what they did uh, yep. on Friday night. Yep. So, um, you know, I think Dupec plays Dakota. Uh, again, should be a win, not to take anything away from Dakota. But but yes, if if the alternative, if you're looking long-term, 
if the alternative to not playing was to playing and losing, but losing to one of the best teams in the entire state, then, then yes, it was a job well done. I just, I hate that rule that they had to get punished for doing the right thing. Yep. I can see that. Yeah. I, I, I see where you're coming from. Let's move along in the Northwest upstate Illini 11 man uh, ranks here. Dakota gets the 16 to eight win over Eastland Pearl city. The Indians broke a tie game with a go-ahead score in the middle of the fourth quarter. So credit to Dakota for getting their second win of the year. The last game in the Northwest of St. Illini, at least for 11-man, Stockton gets the 35-20 to 20 win over East Dubuque. Ian Brocious with a pair of first-half touchdowns to set the pace. Blackhawks get the much-needed win, so they're now 2-3. and three. East Dubuque falls to 1-4, and four, and uh, – I believe, let's see, 0-4 in the conference play. So um, tough one for East Dubuque, but a big win for Stockton. I bet that game looked really good, too. Two really good uniforms there. Um, Stockton was really, really high on our, our uniform list. Um, but more importantly, like you said, they get their second win. Um, East Dubuque trying to get their second win. But, uh, but yeah, good for the Blackhawks here. Yep. Let's move right into week six and what we have coming up for the Northwest Upstate Illini, Lena Winslow goes on the road to Chicago DePaul. So DePaul has an enrollment of uh, around 500. So Lena Winslow stepping up and playing a team that's considerably bigger than them. I did look up that they are DePaul's two and three. It's always kind of hard to tell what you have coming out of the Chicagoland area. I would guess yep. that this should be a pretty, um, you know, Lena Winslow should come away with a win in this one but an interesting non-conference matchup for them. Dakota is at Dupec. East Dubuque is at Forreston on Saturday. Fulton is at Stockton. And Galena is at Eastland Pearl City. Mitch, I'll let you start. What game sticks out to you? Uh, let's see. Yeah, like you said, uh, with the Lena De DePaul game, DePaul coming off three losses there in that area. Um, and, and again, like you said, you just, you never know. You never know how good those teams are even with the enrollments when you're talking about a population that big sometimes it doesn't even uh, matter all the time but um the game that i don't i wouldn't say that i have a, a for sure pick um is probably fulton stockton I, I would say you know can can fulton get to their fourth win of the year um can they recoup off a, a, a tough loss to lena can stockton keep their momentum going um other than that, East Dubuque could could give Forreston a game. That's a Saturday game. Dupec should take you know care of, of Dakota as long as they're not looking looking ahead. Um, and Galena again, can they get their third one of the year? I think you said it in a minute or a minute ago. There, I think the Forreston East Dubuque game. You look at it record wise, and it's four and one Forreston versus one and four East Dubuque, and Forreston has looked really good. But East Dubuque has been tested this year. East Dubuque has mm -hmm. lost to Dupec, to Fulton, to Lena Winslow. And then this past week, they just lost to Stockton. Their backs are against the wall now. They got four losses. It's a tough matchup. I mean, Forreston has played really well, and you've got to go on the road to Forreston. But I want to see if East Dubuque can give them a game. And, you know, I want to see if Forreston can come away with a win here and if they can continue to look impressive because they're going to need to because the rest of their schedule, which we laid out earlier 
yep. after East Dubuque, they have Fulton, they have Gibson City, Melvin Sibley, and then they have Lena Winslow. So yep. if Forreston can look good this week, I think that'll go a long way in showing me what they're going to do the rest of the way. So, um, yeah, those are the matchups in the Northwest Upstate Illini 11-man division. But, Mitch, before we wrap things up, we got to talk the Northwest Upstate Illini teams in the eight-man ranks. Man, those teams are doing some work, and yep. they are very impressive. If if the Northwest of St. Illini is the SEC, man, these teams, these teams are part of that because they are putting their mark on the eight man ranks. Yeah. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think. <laughs> What's the analogy here? Well, it's not ACC, not this year. Um, you could, okay, here you split it up. You split it up. Uh, the 11 man is the sec East and the eight man is the sec West. So two, two really good top to, you know, top to bottom divisions um, that are, that are going to be hard to beat if they're playing anyone, you know, outside of, outside of the, the conference. Well, yeah, let's start right there with when these Northwest upstate line, I eight man teams have played teams from outside the area. The big score that stuck out to me, Freeport Aquin gets the 42 to nothing win over West central. This was the West Central team that we had high expectations for. They were highly ranked. We had talked about them. But, man, they have really struggled in back-to-back weeks against the NUIC. They fell short against Amboy when Amboy put up a big-time point total on them. Yeah, it's like 62 or something, I think. Yeah, it was like – yeah, and they they scored a lot, maybe 40-something to 16. It was a big point differential. And then this week, obviously, 42 to nothing, Aquin gets the win. Aquin led by Evan Brogy. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Well, I'm trying. Uh, he had five, he had five touchdowns with 108 yards rushing. Aiden Wolf went nine of 10 passing for 138 yards and a touchdown. He also had 28 on the ground. He had a fumble recovery on defense. A couple other guys ran for big, uh, big yardage. Ali Arndt and Clay Ludeking combined for 115 rushing yards. So man, this Aquin team looks really tough against a team that I think has a lot of talent in West Central. But man, they're just seeing a different brand of football coming out of the Northwest of St. Illini. Yeah, and, and again, and you'll get to the Milledgeville game in a minute, um, and, and some of these others other schools too that are, are transitioning to eight man for the first time. Um, and Aquin was the team that we talked about a lot in the spring, how good they were. Um, and so to, to transition to eight man and continue that winning streak, they've put up 40 in every single, uh, game that they've won anyway. Um, yeah, just impressive numbers coming out of Freeport and more impressive numbers for you. One of the best teams in eight man Orangeville gets the 57 24 win over South Beloit Bronco junior running back Gunnar Lobdell goes for 302 rushing yards, six touchdowns. As the Broncos grab the win, he's now over a thousand yards rushing on the season. I mean, some serious eight man numbers, but the Orangeville Broncos are looking really good in the eight man ranks. Yeah. 240 points scored this year for Orangeville in five games. So just under, just under 50, I think that's what 42 a game, something like that. So um, yeah, uh, they might be number one. I I didn't look at the latest rankings, but they're one or two uh, and, and rightfully so. Yep. Another team playing really well right now, Milledgeville, the winners of four in a row. They get the 48 to 16 win over Alden Hebron. Connor Nye, another name we've said quite a bit. 
He gets to- four total touchdowns in the first half, two running, a passing, and a receiving touchdown. So doing, I think as Brian Stocking said, he's getting it done in all disciplines, I believe is his, right. uh, yep. is his phrase. So <laughs> thank you, Brian Stocking, for that little nugget. Uh, Milledgeville did all their damage in the first half. They were up, I think, 48-0 at halftime. And wow. that, was, that was it. You know, that was the end of the ballgame for them. So big win for the Missiles on what I think was their homecoming. Ridgewood also gets the win 44-42 over Peoria Heights. Milford, uh, Milford gets the win over Amboy 48-46. So Amboy falls just short after their impressive performance the week before against West Central. Hiawatha gets the 56-0 over AFC. Polo gets the forfeit win over Flanagan, Cornell Woodland. So that will wrap up our eight-man ranks. Mitch, let's look ahead to week six. Alden Hebron travels to AFC. Amboy goes on the road to Hiawatha. Orangeville at Milledgeville. That's an intriguing one. River Ridge at Polo and South Beloit at Aquin. I think we both agree that Orangeville-Milledgeville game, that should be good. Yeah, both both incredibly good offenses, two really good defenses. Um, I'm trying to remember who Milledgeville. Oh, they lost they lost their first game a year to Polo. Yep. Um, yep. So they're they're two points away from this being an uh, an undefeated matchup. So, um, and, and Milledgeville it doesn't get much easier for them. They've got Orangeville this week, and then Aquin coming in the week after that. So this will really be a test for them. Um, and I, you know, I went off earlier on on the ihsa rules i'm gonna do it again because again if anyone is listening that powers that be can we please get eight man sanctioned please get us a playoff i i do not care if the same teams are playing in the regular season versus the playoffs but this is exciting football and it should be credited with a state title there's no question so they play their own eight man playoff but yes, I, I think it should be something that plays along with the IHSA and they should be playing in DeKalb or Champaign, the same as all right. the rest of the schools, you yes. know, one through eight. Yep. I totally yes. agree. And I think that this year was the year where there's enough teams now to where you're seeing separate divisions. There's enough teams playing to where, yes, it'll be a legitimate playoff. And, and yep. Yeah. And Cause you're going to see it. I don't think this is going to go away with one, how successful it is for some of these schools that don't have, you know, you look at Milledgeville, there's 146 kids at that school, you know. And so if you see the teams that we've talked about, not necessarily the teams that have been struggling at at smaller schools like a, a Sherrard or, or a Morrison or, you know, uh, teams like that. But it's proven that there is an acceptable alternative to, say, consolidation, you know, Um that used to be the end all be all, but that was, if you wanted to keep a program alive, you had to consolidate with someone close who was in the same predicament. And that's not the way it is anymore. So this isn't going to go away. Like you said, it will eventually be it, uh, a sanctioned thing and it will be an official IHSA recognized uh, division, but the sooner that happens, the better. Cause um, it, you know, I think more people need to be exposed to it to really, you know, you see, Oh, eight man, you know uh, and that, cause that's how I was for yep. sure. Um but it certainly uh, it should not be that way because this is uh, it's exciting football, no doubt about it. Yeah, I was actually uh, penciled in to be in Milledgeville last Friday, and I was going to do Milledgeville to Sterling Newman and then head back to the Quad Cities. But a late change of plans ended up sending me to Kiwani for Kiwani Princeton. I certainly wasn't complaining. Kiwani Princeton was a great game. 
but also, man, I would have loved to have seen some, uh, some eight man football in Milledgeville. I love going yep. to Milledgeville on a Friday night. I would have loved to have been there, but maybe later in the year, I'll try to make it my priority to get out there. Um, maybe even come playoff time. It'd be fun to watch some eight man playoff, uh, action. So, uh, yeah. If, and and it, again, if, if, if Dazzo doesn't have the schedule set, Hey, Orangeville at Milledgeville, it's a doable game for the area for, for you to, to make it there and make it to a different game. So if, if your schedule is still open, maybe, <laughs> maybe try and work that in there. Cause that, uh, that, that game deserves some, uh, some recognition. Yep. Absolutely. Hey, Mitch, before we wrap up, I got to give a shout out to my Marquette Crusaders. We go from eight man to, we move from eight man back to 11 man. One of the smallest, I think they're the second smallest 11 man team right now. The Marquette Crusaders sitting at four and one. They got the 62 42 win over Chicago Hope Academy. I believe they scored like 35 points in the fourth quarter. They put up some, put up some big time numbers in the fourth quarter to come away with the win and you know, Coach Yupst used to be a Morrison guy. He runs yeah. the wing tee, still is a very traditional wing tee, uh, you know, power type football. But the Marquette quarterback threw for four touchdown passes. So okay. maybe a little bit of dynamic offense there from the Marquette Crusaders. Anyway, I just had to give a so, shout out. They're now sitting at four and one. So, so how, how does that work if they're an independent? Do they just play the other independent schools or do they wait for openings or how does that work? So they've played a kind of a combination of um, some independent schools. Um, they played Dakota to start the year. Um, they will actually, I think that's their only Northwest upstate Illini team, but then they've also played several schools from the heart of Illinois. So they'll yep. play Leroy uh, Hayworth and Fisher. The Fisher bunnies will be in week nine. Great. So, yeah. Helmet. The, yeah, great, great helmet. helmet. Yep. So they kind of bounced around and they're just finding other independent schools or schools that have that non-conference opening. I see. I, and they, you know, their only loss uh, to, to DMAC who has been to the playoffs, you know, like 65 times in their and existence. That, so. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that was a very back and forth game. It was kind of, that was kind of one of those games where the last team with the ball who scores, you know, they're going to win it. Cause it just, yep. they kept going back and forth. So anyway, um, all right, Mitch, I think that'll, that'll wrap it up for week five and heading into week six. So we'll, uh, we'll meet up again in about seven days and we'll see what, uh, what we know and what playoff picture looks a little more clear, or maybe we'll just keep getting muddled down. Who knows? Yeah. As we, as I'm kind of going back over, I think this, this upcoming week, this week six, there might be games that are more, you know, that we might be able to know the result of more than other games coming up. Like, like we talked about week seven, week eight, week nine, there's some really good matchups that are, that are potentially going to shake up the conference and shake up the playoffs. So this week might not be um, as it might go as we expect, yep. but that also leaves the door open for maybe some unexpected things to happen too. That would, that could be exciting. So yeah, looking forward to it one way or another. All right. Well, we'll, uh, we'll touch base throughout the week, but we'll be right back here in a week from now and we'll break it all down. So thank you so much for joining me to everybody listening. Thank you so much. And we will see you next week. That'll do it for this week's episode of view from the West. Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to go out to Apple podcasts or Podbean and subscribe. So you can follow along and downloads will come automatically every week. You can follow along on Twitter at view from West pod. You can also email me if you're interested in being a sponsor 
viewfromwestpod at gmail.com. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.